Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Uh, Rich and I are going to talk about this uh, latest decision by Major League Baseball to be uh, very inclusive of the records from the Negro Leagues from 1920 to 1948. Not sure that has a great impact on our sponsors, but we're in a hobby that used to be predominantly baseball. Now, baseball is still huge, and there are people watching with interest how that might impact cards and memorabilia and buying and selling. But thanks, sponsors. Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck. It's something fresh. Maybe that freshness will add some creative element to some of the new card sets and send people back hunting for players that are long retired. There's a vintage element to this and a modern element to it. So welcome to the show, Rich Klein. You, you read those same headlines? My first thought, and it's probably totally off the charts and probably doesn't make sense, is I wonder, is this going to be like the Pete Rose effect if Pete Rose was clear to go into the Hall of Fame, where part of the allure was that this was Major League Baseball and it wasn't Major League Baseball, and now the Negro Leagues are official. And so for a year or two, there might be some added interest, in, especially in the newer stuff. The old stuff is so tough, and I think it'd be fine. Doing a Josh Gibson card in every single set or doing Satchel Page or the other great Negro League players, Hank Thompson, Willard Brown, just to name a couple, Larry Doby, Monty Irvin, Campanella. I know there are plenty more. Is it going to dilute the heritage so much where it used to be a real special case to have a Negro League player in there? I, I forgot. Willie Mays and Hank Aaron were in the Negro Leagues. Just and now you can really run the cards of them being in the Negro Leagues. I think Fleer did a insert set 20 years ago with honoring the Negro Leagues with 10 or 20 players. But that's my only concern is will it be too much or will everybody be able to keep it down to a slow roar instead of an overwhelming, you know, deafness. They mentioned that there's several thousand Negro League players yes. brought into quote unquote major league status. But the names you've listed of a dozen guys that are on the tip of most collectors' tongues of the so outstanding black players, some of whom did make the big leagues, depending on how old they were after Jackie Robinson in the fifties. But I'm concerned 3,000 out of the 3,600 don't have a card at all. Is there some potential for a comprehensive Negro League set? That's something I think it would work with the Negro League Baseball Museum in Kansas City. I know Rob Nyer interviewed either the current head or the PR guy on his Sabre podcast, and he's very good. If anybody knows how many photos are out there of Negro League players, it's probably them. If not, it's probably somebody like Ted Noor in Pennsylvania. Maybe John Hallway, who's in his 90s now and one of the leading people that really helped get it along with Bob Peterson with only the ball was white to really start getting the information about the Negro Leagues out there in the 70s and 80s. Larry Fritch did Negro League sets, but he also did these amazing, comprehensive, all-American girls professional baseball league sets. We would need somebody. Larry's no longer with us, nor is Jeff. It's now down to other people in the family. But we would need people like Larry or Jeff to really want to do a comprehensive set. And now the problem is that when he did it, those were not Major League Baseball oriented. So you could run all the uniforms. Now you'd have to almost get a special dispensation to run a comprehensive set. And that worries me on, on that level. Maybe it needs to be licensed. Maybe part of this agreement is that Major League Baseball is now going to control those marks. Of the, of the problem is who would want to do you make it a factory set? And, and I don't want to sound wrong, but who would want to buy a set where you haven't heard of 98% of the players? And that's going to be the trickiest part. It, we've talked about this with tennis sets. But today's world, once you get past Serena and Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal and Andy Murray a few years ago and Novak Djokovic and 
a couple of other the ladies players. Do you really want to buy a set for the 15th ranked men's player? There is a parallel there, but the, it, it's actually worse because we're only talking about 1920 to 1948. So somebody that played in 48 in the Negro Leagues was born, let's say, 1930. They actually did have uh, Willie Mays played in the Negro Leagues when he was 17. So you, you could be less than 18. And I, I don't think there were a lot of rules there, but they, they can backdate and figure out that if you're good enough to play in those leagues and you were black, you got in there. And there were some great players there. But that would mean the youngest one that we're talking about was born in 1930. Okay. That makes them 90 years old. Okay, so what's that say for on-card sticker or on-card autographs? They, there's not going to be very many that are even alive. You have to get autographs, and uh, some of the com- card companies do that, of people who played in the Negro Leagues after that. And some of those guys are younger than that. Negro Leagues did survive in limited form until about 1960. Yeah. So even though they'd be older, you probably can get a few guys in that's that. Not in the, but that's not included in this deal, supposedly. No, but but I'm just it, saying for a card purpose, and okay. that happens with others, you could probably do that even if you have to find them that they played in the major leagues and they did something like that. And Okay, here's a fun trivia. Who was the last person who played in the Negro Leagues to make his debut in the major leagues? Pumpsy Green. After that, 10 years after Pumpsy Green, Ike Brown was the 69 Tigers. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And there, so there were guys from the Negro League still into the 70s. Hal King, who got the first hit ever in Rangers history in 1972, a bad, bad team. Hal King was in the Negro Leagues. So there are guys, and, and I'm not saying I haven't looked to see whether they're still with us, but there are guys potentially from the Negro Leagues after 48 that are a decent enough age where they can sign, they can still sign cards. Okay. Okay. But again, I'm not sure they're included. They're, they can't be called major leaguers. I don't think they're subject to this. If no, but you can get them as former as alumni and, maybe, the alumni maybe, and maybe. have them in a major league uniform. And Panini, for example, doesn't have Panini to, have to yeah. Yeah. And then Tops could do, let's say, the, them in their major league uniform. So it's not okay. impossible to do. Okay. The other thing that people want when they open up a pack, besides autographs, are game use. Now, how sacrilegious would it be to take a very scarce, more scarce than the major league uniforms, the, the old Negro league uniforms, and chop them up? Could you? I, I would rather just do what Tops did with their very first heritage set, where they just got a random Korean War uniform, and those cards were still very popular, and they weren't the Korean War uniform of people they put into the set. It was just a random uniform. I would almost do and just say, "Hey, this is not a real relic, but it's a relic piece made to look like it, or, or something." It reminds me, if you do that, of the in the game George Vizina problem of twenty years ago, where they cut up, I believe, his only known pads. Right. And when they cut up his only pads, it was like, as a historian, I'm really upset. And I think my tagline to that, I'm like, I asked a few times when I was still working for you, is my tagline was, as a price guy analyst, I got to price the cards. You still have the cards that are going to exist, but I think the blowback would be so much, I don't think you would have game used. But you might be able to do something like they played at Yankee Stadium. So maybe you can go back to what they didn't do, just seats. Or or you're talking about a tops total. Yes. Okay. One more question here about Josh Gibson. How many home runs do you think he hit? I'm not sure, but I'll tell you this much. The legends about his homers are better than the exactly amount of homers he hit. The legend is is that he hit 800. Tops actually did a set where they claimed he had 800. So this is part of the problem here, and I believe Major League Baseball has skirted that problem because they're not saying, because that includes barnstorming. 
That includes exhibitions. If you look at the official tally for the certified seasons of the Negro Leagues, Josh Gibson has a couple hundred home runs at most. Because and that, the seasons and that, that, that long. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. The 800 homers, you're right. But Topps did a set, I forgot how many years ago, but it was an insert set in one of their, pro- in one of their flagship products about Josh Gibson and his homers. I'm just saying that this new deal is only going to give Josh Gibson credit for a couple hundred home runs at the most. And Satchel Page is not going to have 500 wins or anything like that, which he and might he's have had. 6,000 strikeouts. He's not going to beat yeah. Nolan Ryan strikeouts. Because it's only based on the certified stats from the leagues and where Major League Baseball was playing a full schedule, 154 games, then 162 games, the Negro Leagues were like half that. Now, right. again, they were supplementing by these other uh, exhibitions, and but that isn't going to count in the stats. So it's going to mean that the career stats, I was thinking we're going to have a new home run league. We're going to have a new total hits leader. We're going to have all these different things. I don't think the totals are. It's the season championships that could be affected. That's how many times somebody led the league or somebody that hit 400 in that season. So Ted Williams was not the last guy to hit 400. Like this year, we had a truncated baseball season. Nobody hit 400, but in the 60-game stretch, you've got an outside chance of somebody hitting 400. But they, but they did in the Negro Leagues. So I'm a little bit of a purist, but I, I admire the uh, intent to uh, right a wrong. And uh, how you do that is always tricky. But if you look at the pure stats, again, that are certifiable, it amounts to 60-game seasons, Rich. So you could have some undefeated pitchers, <laughs> which you wouldn't have in a long season, and you could have some 400 hitters, but you're not going to have 61 home runs or 73 or 74 home runs in a, in a short season. No, but here's Josh one. Gibson, in, a, in a year, he may have hit 80 home runs. Here's one for you. Some people considered the old Pacific Coast League a third major league. In the 30s, it, it, it would have been, uh, they withheld players from the majors. I guess we talked about Earl Averill and Joe DiMaggio. Joe DiMaggio and Paul Wainer, Lloyd Wainer. Yeah. Even I think Walter Johnson started in a PCL. There, Jim Thorpe, I think, played in the PCL before he made he came east to play baseball. There's a lot of interesting PCL stats. Tony Lozari played in the PCL. I think he had 60 homers one year in the PCL. But the PCL was real close to a third major league. There's no doubt that the quality of play was very strong in the PCL, especially pre-World War II. Okay, so you do the PCL. Who's the new consecutive game hitting streak? It's still the Maggio. Same guy, the but it's he a different won. record. An even more unbeatable record. Right. Yeah. They had some autonomy, apparently. And we talked about Fritch and the, him doing Negro League sets. I think the 80s, not just Fritch, but Ron Lewis said, had a few people in the Negro League sets. There were some other Negro League sets, and they were always popular, that Fleer insert set. And the Negro League players, were, especially when you and I were dealing back in the day, they were always very popular in terms of when they showed up in the major leagues. Satchel Page has very few cards. He has, what, 48, 49 Leaf, 49 Bowman, and 53 Tops, and that's about it for his mainstream cards. Yeah, Rich, the, the problem is not the superstars here that I see. It's the top 1% are, are amply represented in the hobby through vintage and throwbacks and things like that. It's this next group of really good players that weren't the absolute best, but if they'd been white and they played in the American or National League, they probably would have been household names and they're forgotten. And so if they're forgotten up to this point, I'm just not sure that this decision is going to make somebody that was a good player in those leagues, maybe even an all-star, is is there going to be a following for that? But there would be some people, a second tier, it depends on whom the second tier player is. 
Some of them became popular later, like a Buck O'Neill. Buck O'Neill could be, Buck O'Neill reminds me of one of these guys that should be in the Hall of Fame is what they call a contributor. Yeah, all, all, contributor. You know, there's a contributor status. Yeah. And a lot of these Negro League players, you could probably get some of them in as contributors for what they did for the sport as well. And, and this, these could be your second. There's already a, what I call the first tier Negro League Hall of Fame. There's a second tier Negro Team Hall of Famers. And then you could even make the contributors get a few of them in that were that did more. And as I said, you could even get some of the more modern guys, the Negro League alumni set, yeah. which would honor a lot more people, some of whom are now more commons and may have fallen off the radar. Your Dan Bankheads of the world, your Dave Hoskins of the world, your people, Sam Jethro, who I think led the National League in runs for three straight years without ever scoring 100 or something like that. But he led the Boston Braves for three straight years. He plays one game for Milwaukee and he has a, a very rough end of his life. But it would be nice to get his estate, some extra money, and he's got some major league cards. It'd be a nice boost for somebody like his family to his estate. So there's enough guys out there that I think you could do a set. It also affects the autograph collectors, people that are exhaustively trying to get all the Hall of Famers. I remember when there was a, a, a big infusion of black players into the Hall of Fame a number of years ago, the autograph hounds were scrambling to go back and try to find some of these because there's a game of trying to predict who will be in the Hall of Fame, but that was a game changer when all of a sudden all these black players who, I'm not saying they weren't deserving, they didn't have the visibility, but if they had the visibility, broadly, they were outstanding. And their peers were saying these were the guys that were the best. And, and there's, so still a couple on, there's still a couple on the borderline that aren't in. But you're right, it's going to be a tricky thing because the problem is what do you do with the guys who may have played 20 games in 1925? You might not even have a photo for them. I think there's not going to be photos for a lot of them. They're not going to be uniforms, photos. There's newspaper clippings. That's how they put together the stats. But anyway, they've tried to do a nice thing and, and, and we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, this is something that's going to happen. As always, we try to take a positive tone and see how this could be a, a positive for the hobby. For a lot of the early collectors, were like Rich and I, we're baseball historians and really appreciated the, the history of the game and to be inclusive of the Negro Leagues. That's a step in the right direction. So thanks, everybody. Be back tomorrow with another episode. The man in